I just felt frozen. I just felt like, you know, I had the rug pulled out from under me. I didn't know if I was ever going to work again, um, what public opinion was of me. I felt like I didn't know, you know, who really had my back, who were my true friends. I just didn't see anything bright in my future. Hey guys, welcome to the Paula Ferris Show. I am your host, Paula Ferris. I'm so glad that you are here today. And I want to give you some insight into how influential you are in determining the topics that we talk about and the guests that are invited onto this show. So not too long ago, a listener, her name is Amy, reached out to me on Instagram and she said, Hey Paula, have you ever considered having Julie Chen Moonbez? on the show. And I said, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big fan. Julie is the longtime host of Big Brother, former host of The Talk at CBS. And I said, I'm a huge fan of hers, but I just don't have any connections. So that little interaction set me on a journey to try to get in contact with Julie, but it was just dead end after dead end. And then out of the blue, you guys, this is so crazy. I get this box in the mail. If you're watching on YouTube, it's a beautiful box. Um, it says, but first God, it's an audio memoir from Julie Chen Moonves. It has a picture of her face on it. I opened the box and inside is the most thoughtful handwritten card from none other than Julie Chen Moonves. Just the kindest words. And I'll keep that between her and I. Uh, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to shoot my shot. She knows who I am. I obviously know who she is. So I reached out to her on Instagram. I said, hey, will you come on the show? And she said, yes. So that's what led to today. And you just heard her um, a minute ago talk about how she didn't know who to trust. And she was referring to a really tumultuous time, a messy ending at CBS and the talk due to some allegations against her husband, who's the former chairman at CBS. And I think where we can all relate to this conversation is the messy ending. And yes, we might be entering a new season, a new chapter, and we can be joyful and expectant about this new season, a new chapter, but still reconcile that the last chapter it was a messy ending. Not everything in life is going to have a pretty tidy red bow on it. And you know what? That's okay. But I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from Julie Chen Moonbez about this messy ending and how it really set her on this spiritual journey, this spiritual awakening at 48 years old. So without further ado, here's our new friend, Julie Chen Moonbez, talking about big brother, messy endings, and a spiritual awakening. Julie Chen Moonves, what an honor it is to have you on the show. Paula, thank you. It is an honor to be here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how those early formative years, you're the daughter of Chinese immigrants, you grew up in New York City, how those years, those early formative years really shaped who you are today and what it was like to grow up in New York City. Well, it was, I'm the youngest of three girls, and I watched my dad every morning, like, leave the house by about 6.15, because he, even though we lived in Bayside, Queens, um, he was an engineer who worked for a company in Newark, New Jersey. He had a very long mm -hmm. commute, so I had a very good work ethic, because my dad was a great role model, and my mom was raising three girls every night, a home-cooked meal. You know, they stressed academics and family. Growing up and not seeing a lot of people in my classroom who look like me or a lot of people on TV who look like me, it was um, hard to kind of like, you know, find my people, really. Mm -hmm. Then one day, it was like probably around 1980 or so, um, 
we saw an Asian newscaster on local news in New York City. And that was a very big deal anytime you saw anyone Asian on television. And it was usually those like um, karate films on like Saturday morning with the bad dubbing <laughs> in of English. And then, but when we saw this like Asian woman delivering the news to New York City, my mother said, that is what you should do. And she planted the seed in my head. I was, yeah, I was like, you know, 11 or so, 10, 11. Yeah, and you still remember that moment. What did that do for you? Like you said, there weren't a lot of people that looked like you. You had a hard time finding your people. But when you saw that woman, what did it do? Did it give you permission to even have that dream? Yeah, I knew at that point, all things are possible. You know, and it it was at a time where, like, you didn't see any other Asian faces in the neighborhood, let alone broadcasting mm-hmm. on television. I knew I could have that dream. It, it would, you know, be a dream that could become real, maybe. Yeah, that's incredible. So then after high school, you go to the University of Southern California, you study broadcasting. I don't know exactly the year that you graduated. I'm class of 97 from my university. So but I think we're kind of in that same wheelhouse. So. I was chunk older. I was class of 91. That's all right. It's and good. It's good. We we're both in the 90s. Yes. And the, the running joke was, out of all my friends who all wanted to do the same thing, be, you know, in broadcast journalism. It took me four years to get an on-air job. Everyone else pretty much within like the first, you know, six to nine months got one somewhere like Erie, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. Lubbock, Texas, Medford, Oregon. And I um, had two things going on, which was I had a full-time job working behind the scenes at ABC News in their Los Angeles bureau. And I didn't love my resume tape. I was working for years on getting like that second story done on my resume mm-hmm, tape, mm-hmm. taking my time with it. So that became the running joke. It would be like, oh, you know, we're two years out of college. How's that tape coming along? We're three years or uh-huh. four years. Right. But then I caught up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I. But I think that's so important. Let me explain something to those listening or watching. And television, when you're going into broadcasting, you're trying to get that big break on air. You typically have to take a really low paying position, sometimes a production assistant position, or you have to go to like Julie just said, a very small market to work your way up. So it's like the Missoula Montana's of the world. And then it's the same thing in coaching, you start at the peewee level, and then junior high and high school, and you work your way up. So you're working behind the scenes, and then your big break happens, and you get hired to work in Dayton, Ohio, which funny enough, Julie, and I don't want to take away from your story, that's my. That's where my first on-air gig was in Dayton, Ohio. But you Wait, tell us about yours. Yes. Which station? I was at WKEF WRGT, and I was hired oh, to be a production too. assistant, seven oh. bucks an hour. I also was out of school about four or five years. I didn't pursue it right away because I was so insecure and I didn't feel qualified. And it took me a couple of years to kind of get the gumption and courage up. But I got hired to be a PA uh, in Dayton, Ohio. But it's what I made with the opportunity. I knew how to shoot, edit, produce all of it, shot my own stand-ups, handed it to the news director after I'd been working there. And I said, just give me feedback. He wound up putting me on the air. But tell us about your big break. I need to shut up. This is all about you. <laughs> I just so, thought you had to hear the story of Dayton. 
So my big break was, you know, working four years behind the scenes at ABC right. News. I was really working with the best people in the business, and I learned a lot about, you know, writing, producing, editing, all that kind of stuff, really like news gathering at the highest level. And there used to be a show on called American Journal. And mm -hmm. it was the sister show to Inside Edition, which is still on the air. And they launched this nationwide search where they wanted to hire three people under age 25 to um, do a segment called On the Road and travel the country in a Winnebago. And like one week I would be the correspondent and someone else would be my producer and the third person would mm -hmm. be the camera operator and you would switch every week. So the 10 finalists got flown to New York and they were going to pick three of us. I was not one of the three, but the seven people who didn't get the job got their resume tapes sent to an agent. So lo and behold, you know, may she rest in peace, Shirley Barish, who was one of the first agents in this business to represent news people. She took me on and she said, I'm going to represent you. And she got me the job in Dayton, Ohio. The first time she told me about the job, they ended up passing on me. I didn't even get an interview. But three months later, she said, they have another position open, but it's a junior reporter job. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? She's like, well, it pays $5,000 less. And they are staffed well enough where they can take on someone like you who's never done this before. So I got that job making $25,000 a year. I signed a three-year contract with 3% bumps each year. And, you know, I was very fortunate and blessed that my parents, like, helped me with my move, helped me with my rent. Mm -hmm. It was a great experience because it was a large enough market where I didn't have to do, like, my own camera work and all that or my own editing. And we had a satellite truck and, like, four microwave trucks. So I was doing, like, live reporting at, like, you know, 6 a.m., noon, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., 11 p.m. So I got a lot of experience very quickly. Mm. Yeah, it's a great, it was a great size market to start. Like, wow. So do you think your big break was getting that opportunity to go on American Journal and then finding the agent who got you the job? Or like, was the big break really Dayton and then what you did with it? Because then you went on to, you went on to do the early news at CBS. Yeah, I would say it, it probably really was Dayton, you know, mm -hmm. like that that was a great example of like a blessing in disguise, like me yes. not getting that job. And that show isn't even on anymore. And that segment didn't last very long. And but getting to be in Dayton and like the people that I worked with and fast forward, three of the people I worked with in that newsroom, I now host a weekly panel faith-based talk show called God 101 on my Instagram mm -hmm. channel. It was one of my favorite cameramen who was now a pastor in Boston, no his way. now wife, who was my producer in Dayton, and our main anchor, who is one of the panelists. So, and then the other two panelists are two people I went to USC journalism school, one who started in <laughs> Medford and one who started in Lubbock. And now one's on Fox News and oh one is word. the main anchor in Austin, Texas at the CBS station. Wow. Full circle moment. Full circle moment God's for God's hands. Oh, he yeah. knew. God, God has a plan. Like he uh -huh. knew, you know, 28 years ago when I was in that newsroom in Dayton, I'd be here with you. I'd sure. be on God 101 with them. So, Julie, you get your big break in Dayton as this junior reporter. And that was what, like 95 to 97. And then three years later... 
there you are, like the host of Big Brother. Like, how did this all happen? And my gosh, like what a whirlwind between 95 and 2000. So in 97, I go to New York City, local news, Channel 2. And then when you're working in New York City, you get seen by all the network executives, right? Mm Because that's where everything's headquartered. So from that, I get hired to be the morning newsreader on the morning network show for CBS. So there I am. I'm the newsreader on the morning network news program. And this little show called Survivor comes on and... It takes over the world. (laughs) This little show. I love it. Yeah. And then they um, buy a similar show, formatted show, reality show called Big Brother, and they're looking for a host. And I was already working at the network, and the head of CBS News called me in for a meeting and said, you know, there's this show called Big Brother. It's going to be 10 weeks out of Los Angeles. We figured out your flight schedule. You'll leave every Wednesday and you'll come back every Friday and you'll host it out of LA on Thursdays. You know, why don't you go out and meet the producers and see what it's all about? And I was so baffled because I was like, oh, it's a primetime game show. Like, I'm a news person. I want to one day be on 60 Minutes. It just didn't add up. So I said, well, first of all, why me? And they said, well, because, and you know how to interview people on live television and get the show on the air, off the air, you know, in time. I said, if I take this job, am I ever going to be allowed to be a 60 Minutes correspondent? And he said, probably not. Probably be hard to make that leap, right? So I said, okay, well, thank you for being honest. In that case, like, don't even fly me to L.A. I'm not interested. I just turned down the job right then and there. And he was shocked. So he said, if you don't take this job, it could technically be assigned to you. And if you don't do it, it could be seen as insubordination. Wow. And I'd only been at the network like five months at that point. Oh, my gosh. I was 29. I was like, when's the next flight to Los Angeles? <laughs> I'd love to go check out the Big Brother house. Let's go. Oh and you probably thought, Julie, oh, the show will last maybe a year or two. I'll do this a year or two. And then I'll just go back to like the morning news gig, do pursue that full time. You probably yes. had no idea, like all these years later, like almost 25 years later. That first season, we paled in comparison in every way to Survivor. And that first summer, there was talk about the network canceling the show, like two or three weeks in, like mid-season. Uh, like, how does that work? It's and live you're also and- like, I, I just gave up my 60-minute dreams for this show that's going to be gone in two weeks. Oh, it was awful. Like, TV critics hated me, people within CBS News. You think you're going to get canceled, and you think you're also simultaneously giving up your dreams of 60 Minutes. Like, when did things start to click? Things really start to click season two of Big Brother. I still think season two was the best season we've ever had. So season two, instead of having the viewers vote out the house guests week to week, and then there was no tension in the house season one, Yeah, we made it okay, you got to live amongst each other and then every week vote out one of your own. So the tension went up and it started to get good. Mm. And, you know, next summer we came back and each summer it was, we were like the little engine that could. Um, so slowly things start to swing around. How do you feel about kind of being one of the OGs? You mentioned Survivor, The Bachelor, like there's a handful of reality shows. I mean, you were one of the OG reality shows and there's only a handful that are still around today. How much pride do you have? I feel so blessed. And I love that 
us OGs are still doing it. You know, mm-hmm. Jeff Probst from Survivor and mm-hmm. Phil Kogan from Race and me from Big Brother. It's like with a classic blend. <laughs> <laughs> classic blend (laughs) oh my gosh julie that's so great so okay so this opens a door to do this is 2000 big brother and then about 10 years later you have an opportunity to start moderating the talk and that came at the right time for me because um i had a baby you know i mean i Mm -hmm. loved morning news i didn't mind waking up those early hours but then in 2009 my son was born and Mm -hmm. Something had to give, you know, yeah. between um, being a new mom and going back and forth between New York, early morning hours to do the news, and then sure. LA, you know, every summer for three months to do Big Brother. And CBS was um, removing as the world turns, and there was like a bake off for that time slot. So five pilot pilots were shot, and the talk was the one that got picked up. And that was perfect because then I could just base myself in one city, Mm -hmm. L.A., have much better hours and have Fridays off. After you do morning news, everything is a cakewalk. It is. I I completely agree. And then, you know, you have a kid. That's like the story of motherhood, kids, career, trying to juggle it all. Something's always got to give. So you do the talk for a long time and then everything changes. In your audio memoir, I listened to the section where you talk about... Um, stepping back from the talk. And you said it was weird. It was emotional. There was a lot of sadness, anger, and despair, but it was the right and the only thing to do. You were at the talk for nine years, but you said, I want to spend time with my husband and our young son, and I've decided to leave the talk. It was a really tough time for you. And Julie, I've kind of gone through something similar. You know, there are a lot of things I cannot say about why I left and what happened, (laughs) you know, in my departure from ABC. Hmm. How do you reconcile things just kind of like not being able to tie it up with with a a pretty red ribbon and the closure not happening, how you thought it was going to be, those messy parts that are part of your story, but they don't always have the ending that we envision. How do you reconcile that? Well, I have to say, because it was messy, and what I revealed, you know, in my audio memoir is that it wasn't my decision. Like I was forced to leave. I, I couldn't stay at that at that show. There was mm-hmm. no way. Um, but it was because of the messiness that I feel like that opened up this huge doorway to like finally look up and acknowledge God in my life. Mm. And know that, you know, every he's been there every step of the way, and I've just been brushing him off and and tuning him out. So it was when I was down on my knees and I felt um, completely lost that I started to pray and started to believe um, and and look for hope. He was the only option. Yeah. How, how hopeless did things feel for you in that moment? You're like, I was looking for hope. It was it was pretty dark. If felt very bleak. I felt like directionless and rudderless. Mm-hmm. I just felt frozen. I just felt like, you know, I had the rug pulled out from under me. I didn't know if I was ever going to work again, um, what public opinion was of me. I felt like I didn't know, you know, who really had my back, who were my true friends. I just didn't see anything bright in my future. Mm. 
just a lot of darkness out there. Yeah. Um, and it was scary. I can imagine. It was very scary. So, as you said, I spent 48 years ignoring God, and then, you know, you're forced onto a path you never saw coming, didn't plan for it. How did you even like know where to start did you feel this sense like god's trying to get my attention you said you started praying but like what prompted that what really prompted it was you know i had been thinking about starting to go to church in this dark time but i actually thought about it for months and i didn't go but it was one morning after thanksgiving of 2018 when i woke up to an email from my aunt who is my favorite aunt and she's a born-again christian and she's like, listen, you know, I've never tried to push my faith on anyone in our family. Um, and we come from a large family, and they're the only, you know, born-again Christians. So that morning, I went to church. It was a Thursday morning. I drove my son to school. There are three churches right by my house that I had driven past a million times, never gave any of them a thought. And I wandered into one of them. And for a church, the doors to be unlocked and opened at like 8.40 in the morning on a Thursday, I think is kind of rare. And I was by myself in this big, dark church. It was one of those rainy, cold mornings in Los Angeles. And I just broke down. I got into a pew, and I broke down, and I sobbed, and I asked God for help to pick me up, for answers, just for for any sign of hope, just for help. I asked him for help. And I started that day to believe. And then that Sunday, I went to church services there. I didn't quite connect with the sermon or the service. So the next Sunday, I went to another church, Mm -hmm. the, the one next door. And I got the time wrong. So I went to the third one. And that's where I found my church home. Mm. It was so easy to understand the sermon, and it felt like home. I started I started to go regularly. Wow. And it was a moment. In the beginning, it was like, this is nice just to have no distractions and an hour of peace. Right, for you sure. Know, I had an hour of peace a week, and then I wanted more. <laughs> so it's been five, almost six years now since you had this spiritual awakening and you found God in your life. How has it changed your life? How do you see life differently? How do you live differently now, Julie? Oh, first of all, I put God first. I have a peace about whatever comes my way now because I have hope and I know like, all right, God, I hear you. Like, why did you make me stumble just now? Like, why did you Mm -hmm. allow me to stumble just now? What is it that I am getting ahead of? What do you need me to, you know, slow down and do? What are you trying to say to me? Yeah. So it was, you know, putting God first just had me reprioritize everything in my life. And also it gave me deep appreciation for things that I always took for granted. And it also made me realize that all these blessings I've had, you know, job after job, my career, all of it was the hand of God. It wasn't because, like, I was lucky, no such thing as luck. And it wasn't because of my hard work. You know, God allowed it, and I feel like He gave me the career that I have so that I could use any and every platform that I have 
um, any public stage to spread the gospel, to mm. be a witness for him. You know, that's why I applaud what, what you did. I mean, being in front of the cameras and in news, and I worked at ABC News a long time, and to um, profess your faith and your beliefs, that is not a space that welcomes it. But if you don't declare, if you're not a witness to God before, you know, others and the world, then why should Jesus be a witness for us before God the Father when it's our time to leave mm -hmm. the earth, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like, you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. You can't be a Christian, like, you know, in a dark closet by yourself. It's yeah. Our mission is to go spread, you know, his word and the love and, and create more disciples of Christ. I know God is in control, so I know no matter what happens— now that I have him at the center of my life, that it's going to all be okay. It doesn't mean everything's going to be smooth sailing from oh, here. Sometimes it's out. harder. Sometimes it's sometimes hard. Yeah, exactly. But we, like yeah, you said, you can tap into that peace. No matter what the circumstances are in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. You know, I've overcome the world. That's always given me a lot of hope. I have some viewer questions, um, if you don't mind answering them. Uh, yeah. Mary says, why do you say, but first? Again, the memoir is called, But First God. Why do you say, but first? That is a memoir? wink and a nod to the catchphrase I'm known for saying mm -hmm. on Big Brother, which is, but first. But first. You know, my episodes is always <laughs> like, you know, it's day 87 in the Big Brother house and Julie and Paula are on the block. But first, first, Shana is head of household and she holds all the. <laughs> so there's a meme on the internet of me saying, but first, but first, but first in oh, all so the episodes. And then that's how I got the name Chenbot because I deliver it yes. in a robotic way. And, and because you have to put God first in your life. So good. I love that wink. You have such a good like sense of humor with that, like Chenbot, but first the memes. I mean, you have to be willing to take the criticism and also to have a thick skin and kind of to laugh at yourself, right? I mean, just like, you can't, I don't take myself too seriously. No, yeah. you know, like if you see something and maybe the intention is, you know, not kind, but there's some truth to it and uh -huh. there's some humor behind it you have to own up to it like i i do like to laugh at myself yeah i i good. do i was like oh they're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> that's good julie lydia says just tell her that i love her on big brother and i think she secretly wants to know if you're friends with sharon so oh <laughs> um sharon and i had a great you know run at the talk together um yeah. she is one of the most you know entertaining charming you know people yes, yes fun to be with but i don't keep in touch with her anymore no yeah i know it's hard to like there's a lot of people from that life that you know i still call friend but it's but i haven't we haven't connected in a while so that's just that's just life, right? Um, Tracy says, and you kind of answered this already, Julie. She said, fave Big Brother season. You said season two, but asked now a different way. Would you still say it's season two? Yeah, always. Okay. Because it was a new format, and it was still so new where people coming on the show, they didn't know the show. And it didn't mm -hmm. matter if they had seen season one because we changed the rules completely. So yep. it was very fresh. And reality TV was so fresh then, too, where not everyone was trying to, like, come on TV and become, like, a superstar. 
Uh-huh. You know, it was like they were all newbies. So there was an innocence there. Yeah, that's good. Debbie says, how do you juggle work, life, kid? You talked about that kind of like that pivotal moment when the talk happened and like, you know, early morning TV wasn't working. You were flying across the coast. So how do you juggle it all? It's so hard for for working moms because there is this Mm -hmm. expectation that everything should fall on us and we're the default. So how do you juggle everything? It is. In uh, in the beginning, I did a lot of outsourcing uh, parenting. I had, you know, like babysitters, nannies, like, but fortunately, all the jobs I was in, I could carve and cut back in certain areas to be there for my son when I knew he needed me. When I saw him start to act up uh, when he was probably in kindergarten, I thought, I got to be the one to take him to school and be with him in the schoolyard until that bell rings. And I saw his behavior get better. You know, I started calling in to be in the morning meeting at the talk instead of in the room. You know, Mm, I'm like, mute over, just be on speakerphone. And I'll never forget, two women in broadcasting gave me very good advice. One was Maria Shriver. She said, when I was pregnant, she said, let me tell you something. When you have your baby, you take as long as you need for maternity leave because once you're back in that newsroom, they don't care. You have a kid at home who's colicky or anything. They're going to throw at you everything they threw at you before. They don't care. And she said, and the next time you need to take maternity leave is when your kid is a teenager because that's really when they need you the most. You got to be there. It's so true. I have two teens right now and a tw- and a tween. So 16, 14 and 9. So oh, in the thick yeah. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because of me losing my job at the talk, I was already in position to be around a lot now that my son is 14. And then the other person was Barbara Walters. But, you know, she was old school. She said to me when I was pregnant, she said, you know, Julie, people say that women can't have it all, you know family life, career, all that. She said, we can, but just not at the same time. And for a while I was juggling it all, but but I wasn't doing a good job because I didn't have time for God. Big brothers, is there an end in sight for you? Or are you just like, I'm just gonna keep going with it? As long as I still am enjoying it, I'm gonna keep yeah. going with it. You know, good for you. I don't know, maybe it's a staring contest between like me and Jeff Probst to see like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe 60 minutes, they'll be like, hey, would you like to join? When, when they call, <laughs> I'll take Sunday morning. You know, I mean, there Jim Collins doesn't want that there job forever. Go. Oh, oh my God. Just ease in. Jill, you have been such a light. And thank you for just sharing your story and, you know, the raw parts of it, the rough, messy parts of it. You're just going to be an inspiration. I'm so happy for you. And it's good to see this mom. It's great to, like, meet you, even though this, does this technically count as meeting you? Like, I feel like I need to hug you in person. I'm a hugger, Julie. This is an intro to when we will meet and hug in person. Oh, I would love that so much. I would love that so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about it. Julie was such a great sport, and I'm so grateful to her for coming on the show. And I'm grateful to Amy for planting that seed not too long ago, saying, hey, Paula, invite Julie on the show. And here we are. So you guys, if you have a recommendation of a topic you want to talk about or uh, a guest that you want me to have on, this is proof that it happens next week as we wind down 2023. Can you guys believe it? We're at the end of the year. Um, This is a special 
edition and a special episode with my husband. So good that it's going to be two episodes. It's an Ask Us Anything. And we were inundated with so many questions from you guys, ranging from relationships to family to parenting to work-life balance, all of it, raising kids that we are going to do two episodes. And I just really think that it's going to encourage you and and meet you exactly where you are in the thick of whatever you're in the thick of. And we are going there. We are talking about it. So we can't wait to bring these episodes to you next week as we wind down the new year. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Make sure you rate, subscribe, review all the things to keep this show going. And thanks for talking about it. And I'll see you next week. You won't want to miss it. Oh, one more thing. Is this still on? Yeah, it is. If you're watching on YouTube right now, hit that subscription button or wherever you're listening, make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss a beat and invite your friends. Let's spread the word and let's talk about it.